Good morning. G86. From G450 is standing up again. That is literally a resurrection from death. Individual general, general or by implication its author or figuratively a moral recovery of spiritual truth. Rise to life again, resurrection, rise from the dead that should rise or rising again. You know, I know everybody knows this because I've heard it before. I know you have. But I'm going to share a little something with you. And nothing's new under the sun. We know that. But some of it's new to me. This clarifies something, and I know we all understand this part, but I'm going to go ahead. Who will be raised from the dead? We believe our understanding of the Bible doctrine is correct. If it is logical and well supported throughout Scripture, the doctrine of resurrection is no exception. Although it is true that we don't know everything about the resurrection, we do know some things and can discern others. The extent of what, who, the extent of who will be raised from the dead is something that is not necessarily obvious, but it is a question that can still be answered with a great deal of certainty by comparing scriptures with scripture. There is generally two schools of thought as to who God will raise from the dead. Some Bible students believe that God will raise a person from the dead only if that person made a covenant with him. That's belief one. While the other believe that God will raise a person if that person has significant knowledge of God's word, that's belief two. Those who adhere to belief one understand that a person who is baptized has made a covenant with God and would therefore be resurrected. 
covenants in the Bible, covenants historically involve an animal sacrifice of two parties. Covenants were historically cut. The animals were cut in half as the parties to the covenant made a verbal agreement in the presence of a mediator. The parties to the covenant would often walk between the pieces and sprinkle the shed blood of the animals on themselves. Just as the animals' halves could not be put back together, so the parties to the covenant could not go back on their word once they had entered into the agreement. There are two important covenants described in the Bible, the Old Covenant and the New. These are contrasted in Hebrews 8, 6 through 13, where the Old Covenant is identified as Mosaic Covenant and the New Covenant is identified as God putting His laws into Israel's heart and remembering their sins and iniquities no more. The New Covenant was also established upon better promises than the Old Covenant. There are two main ways in which the New Covenant is superior to the Old Covenant. One is that the New Covenant offers the permanent forgiveness of sins and newness of life whereas the Mosaic Covenant only offered temporary forgiveness of sins through constant sacrifice. The other is that the things promised to Abraham, such as eternal life and heritage in the land of Israel, are far better than the promises the children of Israel received, such as a long life or shoes that didn't wear out. Becoming a party to the New Covenant, baptism is the means to enter the New Covenant in our dispensation. We receive forgiveness of sins and become heirs with Abraham of his promise. Through baptism, allowing us to potential, potential, the potential for the eternal forgiveness of sins and eternal inheritance of the better promises. Covenants and resurrections. How does resurrection relate to the dual benefits of our covenant? We will look at each benefit in turn and show that the resurrection is implied, although not specifically stated in the scriptures. Forgiveness of sins, Paul explains that once we are baptized, we are planted in the likeness of Christ's death and will be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Once we are baptized, we have our sins forgiven and we will be resurrected. Since the wages of sin is death, the forgiveness of sin is necessary for life. Given that baptism offers 
of forgiveness of sins and a hope of resurrection, we would expect to find connection between them. Since baptism is the common denominator, the connection between resurrection and forgiveness of sin is through baptism. The the concept that resurrection has everything to do with Jesus is not foreign to scripture. After all, the disciples preached that Jesus, the resurrection from the dead, and Paul taught if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so then also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. The promises of the resurrection, this connection is quite easy to make. If a party to the covenant should die, and the only way they will become heir to their everlasting promises is through resurrection, God will be faithful to his part of the covenant, which necessitates resurrecting a deceased party in the covenant so that they can receive their promised inheritance and you know that's the only way we, we're going to be able to inherit that if we are asleep in the grave as Brother Joy was talking this morning about Abraham the resurrection of Christ is a prime example of resurrection based upon a promise. In Psalms 16.10, we are told that Christ would not be left in the grave, nor would his flesh seek corruption. Christ was not left in the grave because God promised to David that a descendant of his would sit on his throne. Christ is identified as the descendant of David who would sit on the throne as king of Israel. Thus, Christ was resurrected so that he could only he could one day fulfill God's promise to David. Furthermore, in Hebrews 13:20, we are told that Jesus was brought from the dead through the blood of the everlasting covenant. The fact that he was raised through the blood of the everlasting covenant shows the link between the covenants and resurrection. Covenants and judgment seat in the judgment seat. Judgment can take several forms. The word judgment is in its various contexts, whether used in the Old or the New Testament, generally has the meaning of a judicial verdict. The party is judged according to the divine law. Examples of judgment include the pronouncement of Jesus against the cities of Chorazin, Beth Bethesda, and Capernaum. The murder of the man of Israel and Medidiceth woman of boy I have terrible words in here 
of uh, beneath us. The the vanquishing of Christ's enemies at at his second coming and even God's continual guidance of the meek. The judgment seat is specific from a judicial verdict with Christ as the judge. The purpose of the judgment seat is to determine whether someone who made a covenant with God through baptism or sacrifice was faithful to it. In a traditional covenant ceremony, only the mediator of the covenant was in a position to make this judgment or determination, since only he had listened to the parties react, no, recite the terms and conditions of their covenant. It is noteworthy that Christ is specifically identified as the mediator of the new covenant in Hebrews 9.15. Thus, when we read of the judgment seat of Christ, we can already see a link between judgment and covenants. Christ because of his role as a mediator of the new covenant is in position to judge whether or not a party to the new covenant has been faithful to it. There are two places in the New Testament that mention the judgment seat of Christ. One is 2 Corinthians 5.10. The other is Romans 14.10. In 2 Corinthians 5.10, Paul writes, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And in Romans 14.10, Paul writes, We shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. (coughs) To identify that we, in these passages, we have to look at the beginning of each book to see who Paul was addressing. In 2 Corinthians, Paul addressed the ecclesia of God, which is in Corinth, with all the saints which are in all Asia. 2 Corinthians 1 1. In 1 Corinthians, Paul still addressing the Corinthian ecclesia. But he adds that they are sanctified in Christ. Christ Jesus called to be saints. 1 Corinthians 1-2 Thus Paul was writing to the people who were, were baptized. Since baptism into Christ sanctifies a person Hebrews 10-14 In 2 Corinthians 5-10 The we refers to individuals in Corinth Corinth, which had joined the new covenant through baptism. In Romans, Paul addressed the call of Jesus Christ, all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Here again, we can see that Paul is addressing baptism baptized individuals 
not only because of the mention of their calling in Christ, but also because they are saints. And as we saw in 1 Corinthians 1-2, a saint is sanctified in Christ Jesus, that is, baptized. In both instances, where the judgment seat of Christ is mentioned, the people who will appear or stand before it are those who have entered the new covenant through baptism. There is therefore a link between judgment seat of Christ and the new covenant. There is further evidence that only those in covenant will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Based on the Old Testament concept, Paul refers to in Romans 14.11, for the context here is, is, is Rome 14.10.12, verses 11 is underlined. For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, for it is written, As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then everyone of us shall give account of himself to God. And an examination of the relationship between the quotations from Isaiah 45, 23, and the confirmation of the oath of Abraham in Genesis twenty two sixteen suggests another connection between the resurrection, covenants, and promises. One possible reason why Paul would quote from Isaiah is in connection with the judgment seat of Christ is to show that it is the heirs of Abraham's promise who will appear, that is, those in covenant relationship. Summary of the covenants and and resurrection, God has offered a covenant in which he will forgive our sins and remember our iniquities no more. Since the time of Christ, parties of the covenant show their acceptance and entry into the covenant through baptism. The benefits of Christ's sacrifice was included the forgiveness of sins, a resurrection, heirship to the promises made to Abraham are then extended to the parties. God expects a lifetime of obedience and service to him to, in exchange for those rewards. He offers, he offered under the new covenant. A person who is not baptized has not entered into the new covenant. Therefore, that person's sins will not be forgiven because that person is not associated, associated with Christ's sacrifice. That person will not receive inheritance with Abraham, and that person will not be resurrected, nor stand before his judge as a party of the covenant. The resurrection of unbaptized individuals. Briefly, we will examine whether or not God will resurrect an unbaptized person. One line of thinking is that God could raise someone 
from the dead if he just if his justice so demands however justice is also served with a person who respects God dies therefore a way that seemed right to him and that way ended in death Proverbs 24:20 states for there shall be no reward to the evil man the candle of the wicked shall be put out thus the reward of the wicked is death and justice is then served another argument advanced for the resurrection of unbaptized individuals is a so virgin so virgin ah, is, is an argument the thinking is that God as a an omnipotent creator can do anything he chooses if he chooses to resurrect someone who has not been baptized he can do just that let's make a similar out analogy without trying to sound too fictitious just as God could raise an unbaptized individual from the dead so he could turn a frog into a prince if he wanted wants to the impl- implications of this argument can be exploded to extreme proportions at the heart of the so virginity argument remains the question why would God want to resurrect an unbabbed individual maybe he he can but why the Bible records that God has only resurrected the handful of people who were not in covenant relationship an example would be the Shumanite woman's son. In each instances, God did this solely for merciful reason, not not a revenge. Scriptural examples suggest that only a reason God would raise an unbad person, unbaptized person from the dead, is for a reason of mercy, not judgment. Another reason put forth for the resurrection of an unbaptized individual is knowledge-based. That is, as long as a person has knowledge, they will be resurrected. In the Bible, knowledge by itself does not affect resurrection because a person does not enter the new covenant by knowledge alone. Jesus also specifically states that he will not judge those who hear and do not believe, although they might have some degree of knowledge. And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. John twelve forty seven. Such a person has not expressed their belief through baptism and therefore will not be resurrected to appear at the judgment seat because they are not in line with the inheritance. 
If we look at the resurrection of Christ, there will be parallels for our resurrection since he was the first fruits. His resurrection is like a template of ours for ours. If he was resurrected because of his knowledge, then we will also be resurrected because of our knowledge. The teachings of Peter in Acts 2.30 is very clear that Jesus was resurrected because of an oath that God made to David, not because of his knowledge. This point cannot be overlooked because Jesus was the most intelligent human being that had ever existed. He had a perfect knowledge of the scriptures, but there is no indication that knowledge was the basis for his resurrection. Bible doctrine is very logical. If something doesn't fit, it probably isn't correct. Once we piece together the biblical logic concerning resurrection and make the connection with baptism, the old new covenant, the forgiveness of sins, the Abrahamic inheritance, and the judgment seat, we end up with a very satisfying and logical sound understanding of the important subject. Resurrection is a privilege that results from entering into a covenant with the Almighty. It is covenant-based and therefore limited to individuals within the bounds, the bonds of a new covenant. The only exception found in the Bible were four reasons of mercy. To understand why a person will be raised, it is necessary to have a proper understanding of the new covenant and its connection with Christ's baptism. So I think that's pretty clear. How about you? Okay. Let's go ahead and have our memorial hymn. 153. 